Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we come before you this morning, we feel what we're just saying. <laughs> Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And so we do come in view of our Savior who has come and redeemed us. As we gather here this morning, we gather as those who come to worship and to serve, even as we began this service. We do come, but we come based on the blood of the Lamb that was slain for us. Not on anything in ourselves, but Christ in Him alone. And so we praise you, O Lord God, that you and your mercy and your grace and your immense kindness, that you would send the Savior and you would send him not for angels, but you would send him for us. That he, Christ, is greater than angels. And he is the one who has come to save not angels, but sinners, which is us. And so we don't take, and may we, Father, and I pray for this, and I plead for this, and we plead for this in ourselves and before the world, that we would not take lightly such a great salvation Because it is so easy to become accustomed to these things that we need not become accustomed to. To lose the wonder and the awe that we need not lose ever in the Christian life. This heart of glorying and rejoicing and wondering and praising you and ascribing to you glory. And so may you help us, Lord. May these things be wondrous to us. May they fill our thoughts. May they move our hearts. May they change our lives, O Lord. We pray for that, Lord, in us. And the members of Haven Baptist Church and every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the nations and throughout the world. May you do that, Lord. May you do your work. May you work to lead any who don't know you to the Lamb who was slain for sinners. So bless us as we go to your word. Help us because we need your grace in everything. And so we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn with me to the letter of James. We'll go ahead and continue our study walking through this letter of James chapter 2. And we'll be looking this morning at James chapter 2 verses 14 through 19. Now you may or may not have noticed, but there is something of a tension this morning in our songs and the tension will come out even more as we turn to these verses here. But a tension of balancing faith in Christ with Christ as our sole hope, not works, not our own efforts, not our own deeds, but Christ and Him alone, balancing that with a clear call for us who know Christ to be absolutely different because of that faith in Christ. To the clear call for something, for those who know Jesus Christ, for the clear call for something to flow out of that faith that we have in the one Savior. And so we see something of this tension in the song we just sang a moment ago. So trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So faith and flowing from faith 
obedience. And as we sang that song, I doubt that for you there is probably no conflict, right? No conflict for you. And hopefully it wasn't just for the fact that we have sang that song for over a hundred years. And we're not just singing it because we're used to it. And so hopefully, you know, as we saw that and we sing that song without conflict, we see that there is no conflict there between faith and then living out that faith. Yet that brings us then to the words that we have here in James. Where a storm has been brewing. And James, as he does, as this storm comes, he doesn't sidestep it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't just let it pass by and not pay attention to it and not address it. He doesn't hide from it, but he faces it as he does with pretty much everything in the letter of James. He faces it directly. And so what he addresses here is something that many have been comfortable with for far too long and simply ought not to be. And what is that that they've been comfortable with? Well, it's the distance between their faith and their lives. And so to be clear here, we must preach Christ. We must see that it is Christ and Christ alone that saves. And that all who look to him by grace through faith will be saved. And we must preach that without even hesitating for a moment. And at the same time, we must not back away from a faith that lives. From a living faith. From a faith that goes on and produces something. And so, in light of that, we come to our verses here. And so, as we come to these verses, as we do not hesitate to preach Christ and Christ alone, may we not hesitate to herald these words of a living God also. And so, let's read here then, beginning with verse 14, not 16, 14. So, may God bless the reading of His living an active word today. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, as we just saw, maybe or maybe not, you didn't see the tension there in our songs this morning. Serve the Lord with gladness by faith. Trust and obey, yet not I, but Christ through me. Maybe you didn't see the tension, but they were there. Well, here also there has been a growing tension within the book of James. And it's been leading us right into these verses here we have this morning. And you probably have maybe noticed it as well as we've walked through this letter so far. Maybe you've even felt it. As we've gone through the letter and maybe you've even wrestled with it. Maybe your home group of these last few weeks, you've kind of noticed it and been like, I don't know what to do with this. And you've wrestled with it. 
the tension between faith and between works. And so, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger is not to rule our hearts. It's to be put away along with all filth, along with all wickedness. It is to be done away with and we are to receive with meekness the implanted word. James chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. And so what is he saying there? He's saying you, we are to be different. There's anger everywhere all around the world that you will see like that, but you're not to be like that. You're to be different. And then in James 1, 22 through 25, he says what? We are to be doers of the word, not hearers only. There is such a thing as worthless religion and true religion. True religion, it looks a certain way. Highlight or italicized looks a certain way. Way. That's what he's emphasizing. It loves, it considers orphans and widows, it considers the poor, it considers the afflicted. James chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. True faith, it shows mercy. How many of us show mercy to one another? It lives. By the law of liberty. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So, in other words, as we've been walking step by step through the letter of James, we're seeing that James has an expectation of believers that faith does something, it is something. It has this current of grace flowing through its spiritual heart. And the powerful working of God, it doesn't simply do nothing in your life. It changes your life. It transforms your life. It makes your life different everywhere you go. And in everything you do. And so this then is how James gets us to these verses here. Where he now directly does not sidestep this, but he directly addresses it. And he directly challenges an empty faith. An empty faith. Now James, he is skillful in this letter He skillfully, almost like a master craftsman, he knows what he's doing. He skillfully asks one after another these various rhetorical questions, probing you, calling you to ask these yourself of yourself. And so he asks them masterfully, getting right at the issue at the crux of the gospel tensions again and again in this letter. And so the first question that he asks here in verse 14, it gets right at the topic at hand here. The topic of a faith that can't save. A faith that can't save. So what sort of faith is that? Well, it's a faith that someone says that they have, but as they profess it, high and low, everywhere they go, they do not have any works. No fruit. In other words, life is not flowing out from them. This is a workless, fruitless faith. Yet as you hear that, you might be wondering here, and even asking of James, so is James saying what I think he's saying? (laughs) You know, does he mean that someone isn't saved 
if they don't have works? And his answer to that is a resounding yes. A person like that should have absolutely no confidence that they know Jesus Christ. And there's the shocker, isn't it? Hence, we see his question there in verse 14. Can that faith save him? Rhetorical question with an obvious answer. Now, see here the way the question is written. Can, you could italicize it if you like, maybe helpful. Can that faith save him? So which faith? A workless fruitless faith. So his answer is just what we said. The answer is no, that faith alone can't and does not save. Now that is, what? (laughs) You know, I mean, what's going on here? Now let's be clear though here on what he's not saying. He's not saying that faith is meaningless. He's not saying that if you put your faith in Christ alone, that he won't save you, that he won't redeem you, that he won't ransom you, that he won't give you life. He's not contradicting the solas of the Reformation by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. He's not contradicting all that here. He's saying that if Jesus has indeed given you life, if you have true saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that life, the life that he has given you, will mean that by the grace of God, you will produce fruit. So in order to show this, he gives an illustration here. And here's the illustration. Blessing a poor believer by giving them nothing. (laughs) By giving them nothing. So verses 15 through 17. Now this illustration is similar to what we saw earlier. And perhaps he has a similar thing in mind with the poor believer being neglected among the assembly of believers. You remember in James 2, poor believer comes in. Or rich believer comes in and all of us gawk at him. Oh my, you come and have the nicest seat of everybody. And then the poor person comes in and we say, oh no, you go sit in the dust over there. And so perhaps he's thinking again of this poor brother, which many of the believers here would have been. And so he's thinking of this and so putting it practically then. Perhaps a fellow brother or sister in the Lord gives you a call one night. And so when you answer, they're absolutely broken. They have nothing. They're barely making it at all. They have little to no clothing or food. Essentially, what the wording he's using here is that they're almost naked in the way like they don't have any clothing kind of thing. No food. And... They call you in the midst of these days, so like October right now, and it's starting to get colder outside. And as they do, they tell you all all these things. You just go and you say, okay. And perhaps with your boldest, strongest voice, you say, go in peace, be warmed and filled. (laughs) Now you might, as you say that, Raise your voice as you say it, even perhaps shaking the walls of this room. You know, go in peace, be warmed and filled. You know, you do it in the most religious way you possibly can. Now let me ask you, does that help them any whatsoever? No clothes, no food. The answer is no. It doesn't do anything for them. Thanks for nothing, fellow brother or sister in the Lord. Maybe. Because that's what it is. It's nothing. It's no good. And this is what a workless faith looks like. Nothing 
is flowing out from it. Hence, he says in verse 17, comparing to that illustration, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so we see very clearly that there is such a thing as dead faith. So this sort of lifeless faith exists. A sort of faith that is empty. It's not saving faith. It's a deceived faith. It's like perhaps going to the store one day and you go, you need some cleaner and you go buy a bottle of cleaner. And as you're looking at it, it says on the label, the sincerest of cleaners. Okay. It never runs out. Oh, maybe I want this one. (laughs) It's the best on the market. Okay, I'm getting it. And so you decide to give it a go. And when you get home to use it, nothing comes out. And so you take off the lid, and as you do, you find out why nothing comes out. is because it's empty. <laughs> there was no cleaner inside whatsoever. It was cleverly designed to look and feel like a normal bottle of cleaner, but it was empty. And what is that to you? Useless, <laughs> Right? No good. Well, this is what this dead faith is like. Nothing comes out despite its loftiest of loftiest assertions. Its loftiest of blessings that it may give. And why? Because it's empty. Because it's dead. And so rather than all of that, Instead of all of that, our faith should do something. Our faith should do something. We're not. You're not. And I pray that you're not. Merely hearing the word. But you're hearing the word. And going and doing it. That's what real faith looks like. Not merely hearing, but receiving and going and doing. Showing mercy because you have received mercy in Christ. And so you go out and do it. We're not merely saying we love our neighbors. Oh, I love you. But I will not share Christ with you or anything else. We're not merely doing that. Or, we need to ask ourselves, do we have, perhaps, this kind of dead faith? We're not merely saying to our neighbors, I love you, but we're actually loving them. We are to go and show them real mercy. We go and really help our poor brother and poor sister in Christ because we really do love them. We're not going to just give a lofty blessing and pray for them and say, go your merry way. We're going to ask, how in the world can I and we and us actually help you? Because of Christ who is in you. That's why. And so works to us are not these like dirty, duty-filled, ugly things. That's not the way it is for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Our heartbeat is to be like, as that quote that's attributed to John Wesley, as he so well says, this is to be our hearts in Christ. Do all the good you can. By all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. 
Is that what your heart is bursting to do? Not general things, but for the glory of Christ and His kingdom, you're going out bursting with good works for the glory of God. Is that your heart? Well, that's to be our hearts, brothers and sisters. And why? Big question. Why? Why do you do that? Why is that your heart? Because of Christ in you. Not because of you, but because of Him. This isn't about earning anything. It's fruit flowing right out of a heart that is really beating. Not saying it is, but really is. A heart that has been redeemed by the grace of the living God. It's the grace of God doing what the grace of God does in someone's life. So none of this is unusual then, what James is saying here. And so in other words, as we see here in verses 18 through 19, real faith leads to real works. Real faith leads to real works. So in the midst of his points here, it's as though someone comes up to him and objects. And maybe you are. Maybe you're objecting right now. You're saying, no, I don't know about this, James. Don't say pastor. Say James. Maybe you're objecting. And so James, he turns here to address this person. So maybe that's you and you need to see this as him addressing you. Because he is. And so he turns to address here an objection. And so this imaginary person, and maybe not, maybe someone did come to him and bring this up. They say something akin to this. They say, hey, you know, it, it's all good, man. <laughs> you know, you have your faith. I have my works. It's all good. You have your truth. I have my truth. Come on now. No need to make such a fuss over all these things, James. Faith and works. Pish posh. Let's all just go in our corners and stay there. But James will not have that. Because this is not just a matter of your truth, my truth. This isn't a matter of opinion here. These are the words of a living God, and we are to receive them as that. God is telling you this, this morning. Not me, not ultimately James. The ultimate author of these words is God. And so then all that James is saying here is utterly relevant for us. There are countless people who profess to know Jesus Christ right now with all their hearts in America. And it's as though James's charge here, it's coming right at their doorsteps and it's confronting them. And not just now, but it has been knocking on the doorsteps of American churches for years. And people who profess faith have just said, not going to hear it. Not going to hear it. They proclaim that they know Christ from the rooftops. Yet... They fit the person that James is describing here. They might even be this person objecting here. Now, as you hear this, maybe you're seeing and thinking some some people. And you think, well, this is serious. Maybe I should go and talk to that person about these things so maybe you do maybe you go and try gently discuss these things with them and they will not have it here's the answer you'll get and maybe you're saying that right now maybe you're the objector and you're already saying it and here's what you're saying 
you don't know me. <laughs> Boom. Blue Moon argument to pieces. No. But it sounds like it. My faith is personal. It may not look like yours, but it doesn't mean it's not faith. You heard that before? How dare you? You have no right to talk to me. You don't know my heart. (laughs) Now, if you're one who is the objector, you probably already said that this morning. You may have even said that to someone else who's a Christian, who's come to you. But in truth, the objector here and the person being confronted with these things, they are not living for Christ. They are not following Christ. They aren't making disciples of Christ. And they aren't, as Titus says, zealous for good works. As he says in Titus 2.14. Now as you hear all that, you might object. <laughs> you might object on the last point. Wait a minute. Going and talking to them? We're not to do that. I don't know their heart. You shouldn't have went to them in the first place. I mean, that's between them and God, isn't it? Now, we'll get to that point more directly here later in James. But just to give you a hint or a fore look at this. I don't doubt that perhaps he has these kind of objections in mind as he wrote the final verses of this book. That if you're saying all that stuff's none of my business, he writes in James 5, 19 through 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, does that concern you? It should. It's not about all those things, right? Between them and God. What about between you and God? And what God says here? How will you give account for these words that he's calling you to do? And so this should concern us. Because we don't theoretically love people, do we? Back to James. But we actually love them. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love the lost around us. And we are broken for them. And we long that they would know him in truth. And so James's response to this person's objection here is simple, and it's this. Show me, <laughs> show me. So verse 18, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying that you can profess that you know Christ all day long, yet the proof is in the pudding, as they say. The proof is in what? It's in your life. It's in your life. There is a measure for knowing whether you know Christ or not. And James is saying to this person that you who say that you have faith, you can't point to anything at all. But I can. Why? And the why is important. It's found in many, many places in Scripture. But it's certainly behind the words that uh, Mike read a moment ago from John 15. And what words were those? Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. We're in James now. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, 
and burned. Faith apart from works is dead. James. And where is the place they'll be thrown in? Eternal judgment and hell forever. And then right in line with James in verse 8, Jesus says in John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you bear fruit. A believer in Christ, they bear fruit. And works, they flow out from you. Because you know Christ. Not so that you'll know Christ. And there's a difference. (laughs) In other words, like James says here, you can point them to something and you can do that because of Christ in you. And James, he is willing to do that because he has spirit-empowered works that he can show them. And all the boasting, like Paul does, would go to God and to Christ for what he's done in your life. And so James is willing and not hesitating at all to say, I can show you my works of what Christ, because of Jesus Christ, flow out of me. I can show you those. But what can you show me? And their answer is I have faith. I professed it loudly to those who won't bring me persecution. And so James, he says all this, and he goes even further here as well. Here we see in verse 19, we see that empty faith is a demonic faith. Empty faith is a demonic faith. And so he zeroes in on a faith that is right, but a life that is wrong. And he does this by alluding to the well-known passage in Deuteronomy 6.4, which all Jewish Christians would have known by heart. The Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Where does he get to that? Well, he references it pretty directly when he writes, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons, fallen angels, not these horned creatures or whatever you may see, in movies or shows or wherever you see them. But these beautiful creatures that God made, they are doctrinally correct, perhaps even more than you are. (laughs) And the person who goes on saying loudly, I'm a Christian, And so they're more doctrinally correct than them, yet they have no works. That person who professes that they have a Christian, that they're a believer, they have no works. When they do that, they're living a sort of faith like that, like the faith beliefs of demons. A demonic sort of faith. They have a right doctrine but not a right heart, not a living heart. Yet we see perhaps with some irony here, don't we, that the demons end up actually do do something. (laughs) They do something about their belief, which is interesting. And what do they do? They shudder. (laughs) They tremble. They know that judgment is coming. Yet there is no hope for them. Because... Christ did not come to save angels. He came to save sinners. You. Us. 
And so where there is no hope for them, there is hope for you. You aren't to have that kind of empty, dead faith. And so as we consider these things, and we ought to tremble over these things, is that the kind of faith I have? It is only intellectual. Is it merely in your mind and nothing else? We ought to consider these things. Now I think if, or even as all all of us go to the doctor every so often, for all variety of reasons, I would imagine that we want a proper diagnosis of our health. We don't want, want a doctor going and lying to us. We want the truth. We want to know where we are. Here I have a spiritual diagnostic question for you. What basis do you have to say that your faith is real? What basis do you have to say that your faith is real? And so let's examine ourselves here. And as we do this, let's do this on multiple levels here. We're not just going to throw it in the air and leave it. Let's look at these levels or layers one at a time. And so first, examine your understanding. Examine your understanding. And so here, we see, even as we see with the demons, that intellectual faith is not enough. But this does not mean that what you know does not matter. You need to believe in this Christ, the one that the Bible teaches, the fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, this person, the Savior, and there is no other. So if you're looking to some other Savior that claims to be the Savior, it has to be this Savior. Not the Mormon Jesus, not the Jehovah Witness Jesus, no moral Jesus. It has to be this Jesus. And so it matters who you know He is. Because there is no other Savior. It's only this Savior who saves. And so it matters who do you save. I am. He is. And so do you know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? If you don't think that you're a sinner, you won't see how desperately you are in need of a Savior. You're not going to get this message this morning. You're just going to hear it. You're thinking it's foolishness. Why do we need this guy who came, died on a cross? You're just going to keep on going on living your life. You must know that you are a sinner. Not your neighbor. They are, but you are also. You personally, your mind, your heart, your life, you are a sinner through and through. So do you know that? And do you know who Christ is? He's fully God and fully man. Not merely a good or a good moral teacher, not merely a prophet, not a historical figure. Do you know why he came and lived a sinless, perfect life and died on the cross and was buried and he rose again? He did that in order to save sinners, not legalists. Not antinomians, not Pharisees, not those who are holier than thou, sinners. So you must know that you are a sinner. He came and died for them to make you right with God, to lead you to Him who made you for Himself. Do you know those things? And do you know that salvation? is absolutely unearnable, unmerited, 
a salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. Amen. Not based on anything you do whatsoever. Those are all things you need to know. Not yourself. Never. Only Christ. But it's not simply that you know these things, right? Otherwise, you're just joining the demons. But that you know them, know them. Which means you must go deeper still here to the second layer and examine your affections. Your affections. And so these things are not just for your head, but they are for your heart. A real faith will move your very being. All you are, which is why James is saying what he's saying. And why does it move you? Is it because of you? Is it because of how great you are? Not at all. It's because of God's grace. A person who has experienced the grace of God in truth, who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, their affections, their desires, their longings will be moved. And so those who have life, they will exhibit signs of life in their affections. And what you desire, what you long for. And so examine your affections. As one commentator, he said it well. It is a good thing to possess an accurate theology. But it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology also possesses us. And so does it. Does it possess you, friends? Is the Lord of the universe your treasure, your life, the love of your soul more than anything else? Here and beyond here and everywhere you go, your heart reflects it through your words, which brings us flowing right on from affections the third layer, which is where James is speaking to examine your life. Examine your life. And so this is what James is exhorting you on to do. Your life is to align with your understanding. It is to align and can't but align with your affections. And why would those affections be different? Because your heart is alive. It's beating. And you don't love this world anymore. You love Jesus. He is your life. And so what flows out from a right understanding, uh, changed affections, what flows out of that makes plain what is flowing in you. A life fueled by grace will be inflamed by grace in your home, in your use of time, in your use of money, in your work, in your witness, in your marriage, with your children, with your employees, and on it goes with your life here in the body of Christ. Faith without works is dead. So consider yourself. Ask this spiritual diagnostic question of yourself. Examine your understanding, examine your affections, examine your life. And in view of God's word this morning, may we do that. And may it be that may you have no dead faith, but a real faith that produces real works.
Let's pray. Father, I pray that all of us would lay down our objections this morning. All defenses, all reasons may we may have to say that this is why I don't have this. May your spirit just examine us. May you work in our hearts and our thoughts and our lives and help us. May you convict us and change us, Lord. That if that means that our faith is not real, that we wouldn't put up a defense anymore. We would bend our knees and bow and cast ourselves before the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, you alone save, and I pray you would save me, a sinner, in need of the one who came and died and buried and was risen to save me from my sin. May we lay down our objections this morning. May we examine our lives and may we abound that real faith produces real works. Are we, are we zealous? Not just in our homes. It's easy to love our family. But do we love one another? There's the test. Do we treat this family as our family? There is our test of love and mercy. Oh, Father, help us. We can't do this. You can. And so may you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.